Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing The Devil Comes Courting by Courtney Milan. So this was just recently published on April 20th, 2021. And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary art. And this is the third book in the Worth Saga. We have not read the previous two and shocking, I know, I didn't mind. <laughs> so I do actually own the first two. I mean, this is terrible. I have like bought Courtney Milan's books and I own them and I know that someday I will read them because I love her, but I just have not gotten to the Worth Saga yet. Someday. That said, this book was less steamy and romantic than I usually expect of Milan. And I wonder if the first two books in the series are similar. If they are, I'm okay backburnering them for a little longer. This was still very good. Courtney Milan is a very good writer. These characters are incredibly full of depth and nuance. So like, I don't have a bad thing to say here, but other than, I don't know that I would actually call this a romance novel with the exception of one sex scene that TBH felt a little shoehorned in. Because, like, my biggest note, I'm like, is this a romance? Discuss. Oh, good. Well, then I jumped the gun. We'll be discussing that later. We will be discussing it. But first, let's read the jacket. Jacket! Woo! You can take it away. Captain Grayson Hunter knows the battle to complete the first worldwide telegraphic network will be fierce, and he intends to win it by any means necessary. When he hears about a reclusive genius who has figured out how to slash the cost of telegraphic transmissions, he vows to do whatever it takes to get the man in his employ. Except the reclusive genius is not a man, and she is not looking for employment. Amelia Smith was taken in by English missionaries as a child. She's not interested in Captain Hunter's promises or his ambitions. But the harder he tries to convince her, the more she realizes that there is something she wants from him. She wants everything. And she'll have to crack the frozen shell he's made of his heart to get it. All right, I have a lot of problems with this jacket. <laughs> I was going to say, it is not accurate. And it also is <laughs> not accurate to the spirit. So Yeah, no, this is uh, like hot, hot garbage trash. <laughs> the only thing that is correct about it is that he goes to find a genius thinks it's a man and it's actually a woman and she was taken in by missionaries as a child so um she can't slash the cost of anything she's basically he's trying to figure out how to encode for easy quick transmission chinese and like so basically a non-latinized alphabet and she had in her previous life, started work on a very similar project and kind of has a knowledge base that other coders don't have. It has nothing to do with costs. Um, also, that whole first paragraph is like the first five pages. Mm-hmm. Yes, the first five pages. It's, it's very much the very first one or two or three chapters. Um, she is absolutely interested in Captain Hunter's promises and ambitions. And she does not immediately want everything from him. I will tell you that much. No. Um, anyway, this jacket also has pretty much nothing about him in it. Other than yeah. that, like, he's her boss. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like that does him a great disservice. It does. <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. Anyway, um, I like this book a lot more than I like this jacket. I don't know if I read this jacket, if I'd had any interest in the book. You want to know what? I think that's kind of been my problem with the Worth Saga books. (laughs) Like I'll read the jacket and I'm like, I can hold on that. I'm fine with them not raising that this uh, raising race in the jacket, like whatever. I don't think that could affect. But the fact that it takes place in China, not mentioned. Um, the fact that it's civil wars, like post civil war, not mentioned. I think a lot of things that w- would be necessary to kind of flesh out the setting. Mm-hmm. Like this is like a vampire book, not mentioning vampires. I see you, London steampunk. But like <laughs> I feel like this has that same frustration. It's like this, like crucial things are not here like you can put it's okay in a book jacket to say um you know shanghai 1849 you know like it's okay to put that on a book jacket as like this would be like shanghai 1860s yes 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 um but yes absolutely yes but anyway uh so as usual we generated a random number and then we wrote our own summaries based on that number this episode, the number was 27 out of 50. So I, I'll go ahead and start. So here, here's my summary. Falling in love means not just meeting the right person, but being in the right place with yourself. Amelia and Grayson somehow meet all conditions with each other. I think you get a, kind of my biggest beef with this book, which is that I do feel like the book was more about their personal journeys absolutely 100% yes those personal journeys were fantastically done and made a great point but was was this a romance where we're reading about two people falling in love and that's what we're reading about I don't know there is a love story there is a love story is the love story the point of the book I don't know I don't think so What's your what's your summary? Telegraph writer, telegraph writer. Grayson has thrown himself into work to fulfill his dead brother's dreams, and Amelia is finding her identity as a transnational adoptee. Heavy. It's very heavy, yes. That's yes. I actually appreciate your summary a lot. I also notice you are the one who always sings in the summaries, Lane. I don't, I get snippets of songs in my head and I just can't let it go. It's fair. But yes, absolutely. So Grayson is trying to complete the first Trans-Pacific Telegraph. Partially, he's always meant to do it, but he's really doing it because he has no other ambition now that the people he was going to do it with, his, his brothers, have died. Yeah, so um, Grayson's black, and he's American, mm-hmm. and his family started this shipping company like 80 years ago, so it's a family business, and he and his brothers sort of always grew up knowing they'd play a role in it, but then they got caught up in the Civil War, and all of his brothers and many of his cousins perished and so now there's not that many family members left to continue this business and a lot of them seem to be pretty involved in the company so i would actually say the main trope here if of romance tropes because like i said i would argue this is not primarily a uh, romance is workplace romance that is fair 
I, I was like trying to write stuff down and I was like, I don't, I don't really have a romance trope I can identify. I think like, that's the biggest one, right? Because yeah. they do work together. He's her boss. He hires her as like a subject matter expert. It's true. And then they have to negotiate the employment relationship and also the, their personal relationship at the same time. So I agree that workplace romance is, would be the main romance trope. So other major ones, like I said, I actually didn't think this was super tropey. No, I um, the setup, the book jacket gives it away. There's a mistaken identity slash expected dude get a lady. Yes. She's a super smart woman. I mean, how many times have we seen the the scientist lady who has to hide her intellect? Who also is like a social outcast. In her case, it's equal parts because of being a Chinese woman by birth in white China or like British China at society. Um, but also because she appears to kind of not be great at social cues. Well, it it seems to me like she's probably on the autism spectrum, but again, this is historically accurate. So that's not brought up, you know, as mm-hmm. a, as a thing. He says, Oh, she reminds me of my brother who was similar, you know, had similar behavior. So he's grown up with someone like that, but they don't, they don't say, you know, they don't say she's an idiot savant or something like that, which would have probably been the nomenclature, you know, but, and then he, like many, actually like many Kleypas heroes, he's a driven entrepreneur hero. Yes. So he is not in any other aspect like a Kleypas hero. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Um, I would actually say the biggest conflicts in this book are family secrets. I agree. And both of them really are working through family issues more than relationship issues and And working on them independently. Yes. For the first 80% of the book. Correct. And in her case, the family secrets are not secrets that she's keeping from her family, but that her family is keeping from her. But in his case, he is keeping secrets from his family. So they have the same issues, but in opposite ways. I, if you took out the one sex scene, I kid you not, I would have totally bought this was like prestige lit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. That's, that's, let's skip the tropes because there are no more. Um, but that's, I mean, that's um, my main question, right? Wait, I have a joke one, epistolary okay. romance. <laughs> it's very, that's a cute, cute joke, Lane. Thanks. <laughs> <sighs> because guys, he's putting together a telegraph. And so even when he's out on the high seas, they can, she can still like Morse code him sex. That said, he can't respond with as much nuance so there are like letters in her drawer that correspond to numbers and he just has to tell her which one to open (laughs) (laughs) oh it was very cute I actually I liked it a lot this is not a trope but for most I would say the majority of the book they are long distance so there's like a long distance relationship long distance employment relationship but also long distance romantic relationship once they become romantic mm-hmm. okay so this is a really good book I 
if I had read this, I would have read this if someone marketed this book to me and said, hey, it's an it's an alternate universe retelling of how the Trans-Pacific Telegraph was created. I would have been like, cool, I'll read that. That sounds like it's right up my alley. But it's marketed as historical romance. And Courtney Milan wrote it. Is it a romance? Right. I think I would have enjoyed the book more. Slowly reading the history, pausing to Wikipedia stuff, like digesting bits of it, especially the historical fiction parts. Mm-hmm. a little more deliberately because I, and to a degree, I felt like that was almost more prevalent than the stories of the mm-hmm. characters. Right. Not in the sense that that's what Milan intended or achieved. Like clearly these are two very well fleshed out characters, but like I said, he's a civil war survivor who's taking part in this huge business enterprise that would absolutely have been age defining. And she's the Chinese daughter of a Christian missionary who's dealing with transracial adoption, who was sent as a missionary's wife to India, who sort of explored the region. Like these are two characters with fucking fascinating lives from a historical perspective and from parts of history that I personally don't have a huge interest in, but at the same time could definitely learn more about, could benefit from learning more about. So I think that was part of what I struggled with. Like it's not a criticism of the book. Like, it is objectively a good book. It did not read like a romance novel or how I like to read my romance novels. I was going to say, I think that's my, that's, that, I mean, that's my biggest question. Um, is, is this a romance? I, mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't know. It, it is a romance in the sense that there are two people who fall in love and there's a happily ever after for these two people. Mm-hmm. Other than that is not a romance. And I have read, and I'm sure you have, plenty of other literature where there is a love story subplot where at the end people get married and there's a happily ever after. Or not even get married, but they end up together. But that was not the point of the book. That was just sort of a fun part of the book that happened. Right. And the other thing is I thought the tone of the romance scenes really struck me Mm -hmm. as different than the rest of the tribes. Like they didn't feel super well integrated. Like the bubblegum happy ending where he's looking at his wife and making a comment, like didn't fit the narrative to me. Like I said, yeah. Yeah. Like didn't fit the narrative to me. The, the sex scene, like I said, sort of stuck out. I was Mm -hmm. like, is this really where you'd put this given where the, what the characters are going through? Like I'm kind of not interested in it here. Yeah, Their romance doesn't feel like hot and earned in the way that their personal journeys did. Right. Yes, I agree. But I, I think I bought their romance more than you, maybe. I bought it. I just felt like it was an afterthought. Yeah. I, I cannot disagree too much with that. Like, think about the amount of time Benedict Worth got on page. Think about how much time her brother's issue got. Think about how much time he's thinking about or with his family. Think about how much time she spends working on, like, tracking down her birth family. This book has so many fleshed out B-plots, some of which, a la Benedict Worth, don't even involve the main characters, that I was way more invested in than their love story. Like Mm -hmm. I was happy they ended up together. They seemed well-suited. It's not like I didn't buy them together, but like it wasn't the point. 
Yeah. So I will say, I don't, I, I know you never read author's notes. I don't know if you read it here. But, so in her author's notes, she said that she actually came up with the idea for this book way back when she was writing um, the Turner series. And I don't think you've read that one. Yeah, so so I've read it. And what happens in that book, uh, the book she's talking about, um, is that the hero and heroine are in a forced marriage of convenience because she gets ruined. And then he, the hero, just takes off for mm-hmm. years, goes to China, and leaves her. And then the book happens when he comes back from China. And, um, apparently her editor at the time when she was writing it suggested some ideas for conflict. So she was, she was having a hard time finding the conflict for that book and her editor suggested, why don't you have him just bring a kid back from China? And Courtney was like, um, I'm going to say no to that. But then she thought this would be a really good idea for a book from that child's perspective that I'll write someday. And apparently she actually constructed the Worth Saga. So this entire series was constructed with the idea of being able to write that book. Oh, interesting then that she really executed that plot in the third one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And again, I haven't read the first two. So, you know, I don't know what needed to be set up for that. Um, and I'm sure she had lots of other ideas she had mm-hmm. as well or maybe she just thought oh I'll I'm gonna write the worth saga and I'll make sure that I will also be able to include this so maybe that's what she meant in the author's note but that's what she said and I mean I do think that that idea of a little of a child so a Chinese child basically being kidnapped and then raised by a, a white or a western family came through as that's the main plot here not the romance right correct (laughs) so so i will say that after i read that i was like okay i think i understand this a little bit better and i actually think it's an amazing idea for a book so i'm very happy that i read this novel i think i need to reread it Honestly, because I did like so much of it, but it was so not what I was expecting when I sat down to chew through a romance novel. Yes. I mean, when you think about The Duke Who Didn't, for example, that is a romance novel that tackles some really serious issues. This is a book that tackles a lot of really serious issues. And With has a romance, romance subplot. <laughs> exactly. Like, honestly, I think in six months, I need to go back and reread this. I need to, like, read for a half hour before bed every night and, like, really process the story she's telling about this era. Right. Exactly. I I think that's how we, you, someone, might want to approach this book. Yeah. Rather than as a potato chip read on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And, I mean, is the Duke who didn't a potato chip read? I don't know. But in the way I consumed it, yeah, I was in it for the love story. I couldn't put the book down because I wanted to, like, see their next cute scene together and, like, love the way he was flirting with her. And this did not. I was beaming the whole time I read The Duke Who Didn't, except when I was crying. 
Right. But like, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was a feel good book in a way, even though it tackled heavy shit. Yeah. This wasn't that for me, not because it doesn't get a happily ending or after ending. Cause duh. But I honestly, I think the only thing that separates this book from like a much heavier book on the same topic is the happily ever after. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I totally agree. And I will totally admit that Courtney Milan approaches this with a more optimistic lens than I think the prestige list equivalent would. Absolutely. So there are a lot of happily ever afters, not just for the main characters, but for secondary characters that probably wouldn't have been historically accurate. I don't, I would have liked the book less probably, but I, I think that's sort of the biggest difference is this is an optimistic take on a pretty dark period in history and on characters who have pretty dark things happen to them. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's take, for example, our main couple. So um, we mentioned that Grayson is black. I, we, I don't know. I think we said it. Amelia is Chinese. Yeah. I said it like four times. Native Chinese. <laughs> and so it's an interracial couple I loved, so one of the things that I really like about Milan is that she can handle the historical racism, like historical accuracy. They face racism, they face issues being together, um, while at the same time making this something that I want to read and I'm not super depressed about reading. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what you're saying, right? That she manages to take these really heavy issues and she does work them into a romance, or if it's not a romance, which maybe we are arguing in this podcast, she works it into a, a book that has an ultimately optimistic point of view on the world, really. Well, and this does beg the question, what is a romance? Because if the answer is a couple, at least one sex scene and a happily ever after, like this meets that criteria. No, it's true. It's true. Very true. Obviously, I reject the concept of closed door romance. <laughs> I don't like I said, romance, I was like, please. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, I just want to say fucking missionaries, man. I know, right? Like, what a dark period in history. I don't want to, like, offend anyone and, like, get into a discussion of religion, but it was really refreshing to see Someone who had acted as a missionary, but also been the victim of missionaries. Yes. Articulate this idea that, like, showing up in someone else's country and telling them they're savages because they're not exactly like you is real fucked up. Yeah. And that was an incredibly intelligent way to comment on that historical (laughs) problem. (laughs) It was really good. I don't know if we can discuss more because I have a lot of stuff that really verges into spoiler territory. So maybe we can discuss this at the end. Okay. Did anything offend you? Nothing offended me. I, there are a lot of content warnings. There are a lot of content warnings. Uh, Just because of how realistically Courtney Milan portrays this world. Even though we just said it has an optimistic outlook. There's racism there's sexism, there's, I mean, there are suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation, um, there is intergenerational trauma, there's references to war. 
Yeah, there's there, yes, there uh, is um, adoptive parent abuse. There's a lot of stuff that you have to deal I with. I mean, there's questionable consent sex in the sense that she's forced into marriage and does her duty, but doesn't really think through it. I it's there, it's it's a heavy book. I think yeah. that's all we need to say for offensiveness. I think Courtney Milan handles everything very deftly, but like this ain't fluffy. Yeah. Um, sexiness. Okay, so as Lane said, they didn't hook they had a few kisses. But they did not have anything more than some kissing and some like chaste embracing. And like that kissing was real guilt ridden. <laughs> right, exactly. It wasn't all that like sexy because it was a lot of you work for me, that's my whole goal. Like, uh, mm, okay. <laughs> it's true. And I mean, on the one hand, I really appreciate seeing an employer maybe have some qualms when he's kissing his employee. <laughs> on the yeah, other I don't hand, feel like the qualms were because she was his employee. I think the qualms were because he was so single-mindedly focused on his telegraph. Well, that too. Also, you know, <laughs> how, you know I, I don't know if I can devote the time that I should to this woman who deserves it. <laughs> Um, so they don't, they don't go any further than like, like some comfort. I'm not even kidding. Comfort hugs and (laughs) deep kissing (laughs) until like 80% of the way through the book. Yeah. And they spent, Um, as Meg said, a significant portion of the book not together. And during that time, they're also not romantically linked. Like they both know they have feelings for each other, but it's not like these are like the 1860s equivalents of sexting. No, it's not. I mean, there's, there's maybe a tiny little bit of sexting, but not really. Cause like other people are seeing these messages and relaying them. It's exactly. Not- exactly. So it's like very oblique sexting. <laughs> Just saying. No, I, I agree with you. I'm basically agreeing with you. <laughs> I don't know what they did counts, okay? <laughs> I don't know either, but... <laughs> I think, you know, what was there was Courtney Milan quality. I was going to say, uh, Courtney Milan is not... She doesn't write super graphic sex scenes, right? I will say I thought that this was pretty explicit for a Milan, especially. Yeah, I think the reason it doesn't rank super sexy for me is because while explicit, like I said, it kind of felt out of place. Yeah. It's like she was making up for the fact that the first 80% of the book wasn't really a romance novel with this one scene. It was like, I see what you're doing and I appreciate it, but I see what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I thought it did play in a little bit to the long distance relationship aspect, which is like, we have to take advantage of the time when we're together. <laughs> right. So Regardless maybe what be, other things just happened or are about to happen in the you know, plot. Yes. Well, yes. And I do, she did use the long distance relationship. It's not a trope, but she used, she used those trappings to further the plot. Yeah. Which which I thought was great. Um, but a, as someone who was in a long distance relationship for a long time, I was like, yeah, that's, that would happen. 
Sure. I don't think you had the shit going on in your life that they did on either end of that immediately before and after your brief sojourns. I did not, no. <laughs> no. Did not have this quite the same level of angst. I did not. So let's talk about what that angst was. Spoilers yeah. beware from this point forward. From this point forward, there's there are going to be a lot of spoilers. So if you, if that bothers you, um, then you should probably sign up now. And when you do, rate, review, subscribe, etc. Check us out. Thank you so much for listening. We like this. Recommend. Check it out. But be prepared for what it is. <laughs> okay. So what do I want to... Okay. I want to start with Amelia's family of origin, actually. Okay. So the point of... So the way that Grayson gets Amelia to go to join his company and work for him is by figuring out what her deepest desire is. And for her, she has grown up thinking that her family um, left her with her adoptive family just for a short period of time, but then they got separated because of war, right? And they couldn't find each other again. And so for her, her motivation to help build this, this telegraph is by thinking, wow, people could communicate a, a, across long distances if they get separated because of war or other tragic things that happen in their lives, they could find each other again. Well, turns out that Amelia's family of origin did not abandon her voluntarily or get separated involuntarily. They have been trying to find her for years and her adoptive mother kidnapped her and lied to her about everything in her past. That part I did not have a huge issue with. I thought it was heartbreaking. It was really hard to read. Um, I thought it was incredibly written and it was a plot twist to me that I, I did not see coming actually. So my original thought before you find out that she was adopted when she was six mm -hmm. was actually that she was going to be the illegitimate daughter mm -hmm. of her adoptive mom who was half Chinese because there's all these allusions through the text to basically her adoptive mother seeking solace in the arms of someone other than her adoptive father. Mm -hmm. that, did I miss something or was it never really explored? It was not explored, no. Yeah. Like, just making sure I didn't miss it, but I didn't really think it was delved into there. So I thought it was going to be a... Uh, because they mentioned that the father only came home, like, two months a year. Right. And was gone for ten months at a time. So I was like, okay, cool. So if he was, like... She was, like, three months pregnant when he left, he might never have known. Mm -hmm. She gives birth and then has four months to recover. And then there's this little Chinese girl, like... And she can be like, I adopted a baby. Right. So I thought that's where it was going until she mentioned how old she was when she was adopted. I did not see the explicit intent of her. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was definitely prepared for some like miscommunication, like never meant to give you up, like the language barrier, blah, blah, blah. Like was totally prepared for that. But the level of intent here totally agree. Took me by surprise. So, I mean, I thought it was, which is why I really thought we need to put this under spoilers because if both yeah. Lane and I were surprised by this, because we read a lot of books guys. 
it's it's hard to fool us, I think, <laughs> with the plot twist. But this plot twist got us. We were like, whoa. I I felt uh, similarly to um, the book by Loretta Chase, Not Quite a Lady. We read this book last summer. It's the it's the fourth book in the Carsington Brothers series. And in that book, um, the heroine had to give her child up for adoption. And then they miraculously find each other again later. I had a lot of issues with that book because I felt like I actually felt like it really needed a content warning or a trigger warning for adoptive parents or for adoptive children who have had to live with the fact that they will never see those people again. And this basically the same thing happens here where Amelia finds her birth family and it's this wonderful homecoming and no, she'll, they'll never be the parents. They'll never have the same relationships that they would have if she had grown up with them, but they still accept her as their daughter and she's their beloved daughter. They're so happy that she's back, which is as Lane said, very optimistic and very nice. But to me, this is something that if I had had to give a child up for adoption would be incredibly difficult to read. I also want to point out that a lot of this happens in the last 20 to 25% of the book. And I do. So I think a lot of her struggling with being what she believes is a transnational transcultural adoptee is sort of dealt with, but the, I'm sure very complex and difficult circumstances caused by realizing one, you were kidnapped and two, you found this birth family and your life experience has separated you from them so much, not just literally for 20 something years, but also like figuratively, she grew up in a totally different world and has vastly different impressions of the world around her. Like th that didn't get as much time as I think it could have, because I think to explore it would have, ruined the happy ending yeah I think that definitely could have happened so anyway I this is something that for me it's not difficult to read like I have not had to give a child up for adoption I also have not been adopted so I don't have personal feelings about it that said I can see how it could be incredibly difficult for a certain segment of readers out there yep which leads us to Amelia's adoptive mother I I thought she was a very I mean what did you what did you think of her what did you think of her character reductive yes that okay yeah that's I felt that she was quite one-dimensional yeah so I obviously don't have a problem with a critique of missionaries when I ran in the spoiler free section about that, but I do think she was pathetic and then she got villainous. Yes. And I don't necessarily know that I needed that. Right. That's there, it. it was a good book. Like, I don't know. Yeah. The, there was a, and again, Am I saying that I needed an exploration of this woman's psyche? No, that's not what I'm saying. I, I wish she had been less of a symbol 
than she was. There's there's a part of the book where it goes talks about how she's making her tears into a weapon, which, you know, if you've read anything on the Internet in the past year, you know that or two years, you know, this is an op ed piece called weaponizing white lady tears. Right. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, I appreciate that Milan puts these things, uh, these illustrations of concepts into her books. So I do appreciate that. On the other hand, I felt like this was quite heavy handed. So I don't know how I don't I don't want to criticize the fact that it was there because I that's one of the things I appreciate the most about reading Courtney Milan uh, novels. On the other hand, I thought, okay, this is something that I've read. And maybe, again, this may be just for us, but I've read three, four, five think pieces about White Lady Tears. And I was like, okay, now it's in my romance novels. I don't know. I think it also, I did not need her to be a complex character. I didn't need her to be humanized. I didn't need these shitty choices she'd made to be contextualized and defended on any level. So I want to like put that out there. I'm fine with this being like not an exploration into her. That said, for a book that was so secondarily a romance, I do think additional context, mm -hmm. not about her personal feelings, but about British people adopting Chinese kids in this era would have been really useful to prevent her from just seeming like a stock character mm -hmm. to put modern ideals into this book. Like, let's talk about the different traumas or successes within adoption in this era. Like, I don't know. And I don't know if that was the answer either, but I agree with you. Like I kind of would have liked her to be less of a mouthpiece for all of the thing pieces that are being circulated right now or representation of. And then, so I feel like all the spoilers are Amelia's family, basically, because the last thing is Amelia's brother, uh, who is an incredibly sympathetic character. And I liked him a lot. Uh, I really liked his reactions. You could tell he loved Amelia. And, you know, she was one of the most important things in his life, probably the most important relationship that he had. Um, but so he became a missionary as well I think it was like his only career path option so okay I mean he could have found a different career path but he didn't and now he's struggling with it and now he wants to get out but the reason he wants to get out is because he's gay yeah I once again I think I would have liked a little more here same. I, I thought in this case, we were we were missing out. We were really missing out when it came to him. Both because I, I think personal circumstances causing you to question the circumstances of your upbringing, totally valid. But so both we have him being gay. So he knows he's preaching homophobia and doesn't agree with it or feels like a hypocrite but two he grew up with a Chinese sister who's brilliant who doesn't who's incredibly intelligent incredibly sympathetic who he knows hasn't fully explored her own identity and I actually think beyond just 
I would have liked to see a little bit more of him critically thinking about missionary work in the context of those two things. Mm-hmm. Like you hear, see him think critically about missionary work. Then you see it because like selfishly he knows it's wrong because he's gay. I would have liked a little bit more connection between those ideas. Yes. In the text. Like, I agree. The, everything was there. I think I just wanted it spelled out a little more, be, not because I needed to hear it, but because I think it would have done something for his character development to see yeah. him process it in those terms. Yeah. And, you know, there there may be, who knows, there may be a, um, a novella featuring him later. Because I feel like Courtney Milan does that sometimes. So that could happen. But I, I, I would have liked more with him than with Benedict, for example. We had a ton of scenes with Benedict that are setting up the next book, which, which are fine. You know, that's, that's fine. Like, I'm not, I can't ding you on it. Um, but, like, why not take a little bit of that space and use it for Amelia's brother? Yeah, definitely. So, <laughs> I feel like all the spoilers, all the spoilers were things that I was a little bit critical of. So, <laughs> I don't want to end on that note either, because I felt like this book was really incredibly cool. Yeah, I liked this book. That's a lie. I thought this book was really, really well done. Yes. Especially that said, I while I think Courtney Milan managing to make this story fit the confines of the romance genre shows how adept she is at her craft. I actually think I might have liked the romance better and the book better if they hadn't been merged in the way they were. Yeah. I feel like we talked about this when we reviewed The Duke Who Didn't as well, where uh, I think that I think she's using the romance genre to reach people who maybe aren't reading these think pieces and things like that. I, I thought it worked yeah. more effectively in the Duke it, who didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't disagree. But I also feel like I feel like that is one of her goals. So which I think is really laudable. So I think that's really Yeah. Cool. I'm glad I read this. I'm probably gonna need to read it again with a different expectation. Yeah. But so if you guys made it all the way through the spoilers, thanks for sticking with us. And let us know what you thought. Maybe, like, DM us just so we don't spoil it for other people because it's so new. But we'd really love to know what you thought about the way Courtney Milan addressed some of these issues and, like, the plot. And if there's something we're really missing because we haven't read the first two, let us know. Thanks, guys.